What a wonderful thing to hear from our missionaries and uh, to, to sing praises to our great God. If you would go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. We're continuing in our Behold series. This is uh, our, our 11th sermon in this series uh, we call Behold. And it is all about how what we were created to do, what we were fashioned uh, to find our joy in, our satisfaction in, and to be transformed by, is to behold the glory of God. God is most glorious. He, he is uh, the being that gives glory to anything else in creation that we see. And so we set out to behold this great God, see his surpassing glory that, that sets us free from sin, that sets us free from self and launches us to live for him and to live in the, in the greatest possible joy uh, that we could have as we bring him glory. And so uh, we've kind of looked at why, uh, why behold the glory of the Lord, how to behold the glory of the Lord. In these past few weeks, we've been actually beholding. We've been actually looking at uh, aspects of God, his attributes, his actions, and, and digging for glory in those things. And we never have enough time to, to really get too deep, um, but it's all just a wonderful primer on each of these areas about God. And this should be training us to look for these glories of God as we study his word. This week we'll be looking at God's glorious grace. God's glorious grace. And this will be just a part one on grace uh, this week. I'll, I'm splitting it into two. I knew that we were going to have the Mongols here. And uh, so just to, to give them as much time as possible, I'm making this a, a shorter sermon than normal. A lot of you are sighing uh, a sigh of relief right now. I'm not known for brevity. Neither is Ken, by the way. <laughs> are you, Ken? <laughs> no. You won't even look at me. I love you, man. No, it was awesome. Good stuff. Uh, yeah, so we're going to talk about God's glorious grace. And this week we will particularly, just as to prime the pump on God's grace, we will look at the, the nature of grace and we will look at the purpose of grace. So those will be uh, our two um, little objectives here, the nature of grace and the purpose of grace. And next week, we'll actually spend much more time looking at how God's grace, his, his uh, favor towards the undeserving, and how that has just worked out towards his creatures who have rebelled against him. And that'll be tied in some today, but, but mainly I want to look at the nature and purpose of grace today, because I think it's just a really good foundation. You know, it's interesting, um, I, growing up I, I went to a school that was called Grace Baptist Academy, and the church I went to was Grace Baptist Church, um, and interesting may not be the right word, but sad maybe, uh, that when I left there, pre-K to end of uh, high school, graduated there, I still did not understand grace. I don't think that was the fault of uh, the church or the school. I think it was the fault of, of my hard and uh, numb heart to God. And so I could have given you a, a pretty solid definition of grace when I left that school. I could have, uh, you know, told you that people are only saved by grace 
through faith. That's the only way of salvation, is by God's grace as we believe in what Christ Jesus has accomplished on the cross for our salvation. We read that a moment ago from Ephesians 2, is by grace you are saved through faith. So I could have told you that. And I probably could have even argued uh, with you about how gracious God is. But, but the fact is, I still didn't truly understand grace. I didn't truly uh, have it in the depths of my heart how gracious God is and what the implications of that would be if God really is this gracious. And this threw my life uh, all out of whack, right? I found myself uh, doing, doing a couple of things. I found myself uh, thinking of God as a bit of a curmudgeon, kind of, kind of just a mean guy. He's up there. He's an authoritarian big heavy rod, and, but if you want this authoritarian God to treat you nicely, uh, you know, to be gracious to you, you got to be good to him. You got to obey his rules, you got to tell other people about him, and that was my conception of grace, that, well, if, if you want God's grace, God's favor upon you, then you got to, you know, do your part and be, be good, by the way, that's the exact opposite of the definition of grace. Um, anyways, uh, and so it threw my life all out of whack. Um, in general, I had no true zeal for God, no, no real deep love for him, because I was like, he's just kind of mean, and he's kind of made this pathway for salvation by grace through faith, and so as long as I jump through his hoops, then this mean God won't beat me. And seriously, that's how I thought. I wouldn't have said that. Um, and so what, what this also did, though, so that, that I didn't have that zeal for God because I wasn't really impressed with him. But what it also did is it caused me to really live a life of sin. I, uh, through high school and stuff, things kind of changed later. But anyways, uh, I, would, I would do every sin that wasn't really bad. Like, I, don't, I don't even want to really give examples, but, you know, like... I, I, I wouldn't do the hard drugs. I wouldn't uh, be, be getting drunk. I, I wouldn't be sleeping with my girlfriend. But on, on every other area, I, I would be always pushing the limits and, and still sinning. But they weren't, they weren't those big, bad sins. And I, had no, I saw no reason to get those out of my life because, well, you know, um, God's gracious and I'm, I'm earning his favor by not doing these big, bad things. And so... I mean, this is, this is what my lack of understanding God's grace did for me. I lacked zeal and love for God, and I was walking in continual sin. So, it's pretty important to understand uh, God's glorious grace. And so that's what we're going to look at today. I hope you've turned now to Ephesians 1. We're going to go through uh, verses 1 through 14. And I'll, again, just, I'll be zooming in on some, some small points here. Uh, to, to give us an understanding of the nature of grace and, and the purpose of grace. So let's read this together. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 1 through 14. It says there, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. So that, that's just like his, his heading, you know. Then he says this, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. It says, grace to you and peace from God our Father and Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 3, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So that means praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, 
who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, according to his purpose which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time, to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Let's pray together. Father God, I pray that you would help everyone in this room today to understand grace. Specifically, the, the grace that, that flows from you, Lord. Help us to understand it deeply, not just head knowledge, not just able to give the right answers, but to truly perceive, believe, and love your grace from our hearts and to live in light of it. May, may no one walk out of this room believing the same things I believed growing up, that you were mean and somehow were forced to be gracious to us if we obeyed you and served you. Because that is such a low view of who you are. It, it, it is completely mistaken. Lord, help us to understand your grace and to adore you, worship you, serve you, and share of your grace because of it. God, it's only by your grace that we'll even be able to do this. So I pray that you would work in our hearts and do this miracle. This I pray in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. So, grace. I want to give you a good working definition of grace before I even get to my first point. I don't have it in a slide or anything, but... Just, a, just a, a good working definition of what grace is, so there's no mistaken. Grace is freely given favor towards those who deserve punishment. Freely given, that means the person giving grace, giving favor, doesn't have to. You can't twist their arm, you can't make them. They are compelled by no one and nothing. They freely give this grace or sorry, this favor. And this favor is given to someone who deserves punishment. You can think of 
doing good to the undeserving or even the ill-deserving, meaning we deserve bad. And this is kindness to those who deserve curses. So that's what grace is. And we see in the Bible that God operates, that this grace happens from him, that God does gracious things. But what I want to show you first, and I think this is important, uh, this first thing to understand the nature of grace is grace is not just something that God does, it's something that God is, okay? I don't have control here. Sorry. So number one is God is gracious. I mean, this may seem like such a, uh, an obvious point or such a weird point, but God is in and of himself, in his attributes, gracious. The reason I mention that is anyone can fake a certain attitude from time to time in order to benefit themselves. Okay? Tell me I'm wrong. It is amazing how courteous an otherwise rude young man can be when he's on that first date with the girl he likes. Oh, let me get the door for you. Mom's watching like, what? You won't even like help me carry the groceries, you know. But all of a sudden, oh, let me help, let me help. It's, he's faking. He's putting on this courtesy, right? I think about uh, how people all of a sudden become very civilized in a courtroom who are normally quite unruly, right? <laughs> they could be just crazy, but everyone in a the courtroom, they, they know eyes are on them, and they know that their actions will determine uh, maybe the, the, the way the judge is going to treat them. And I even think, and this is a, a sad one, it's amazing how the speech and actions of people will change when they enter the church doors on Sunday morning. All of a sudden, there's no crude jokes. All of a sudden, they're not doing bad things. Not the way it should be. But I'm simply pointing out the fact that it's not that hard to fake things, at least for a period of time. But we don't like that, do we? When you know that that, that, that kid is normally a brat, yet he's just trying to impress this girl... Like that annoys us. It's disingenuous. He's faking. I don't like that. But we can rest assured God is, in and of himself, gracious. God never tries to make a good impression so that it will benefit him. God never fakes his attitudes or actions God never puts on a mask to act like he is something he is not. God only, only acts out of who he is all of the time. And so that's important because anytime in the Bible we see God do something gracious, or even in our lives we see God do something gracious, we can say that is simply flowing out of God's goodness and his kindness to undeserving People. That is the depth of his kindness, that he would bless those who have cursed him. And so we see this. God is gracious. I wanted to show you this uh, from Ephesians 1, just uh, quickly. First, I see that this happens 
that this grace is operative and flowing out of the entire Trinity, the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We see this in verse 2 first. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So there you have the Father and the Son as the source of grace. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We see how that grace operates uh, in that God predestines and that uh, he works out that predestination through Jesus Christ. So again, Father and Son. But I want to point you to uh, verse 13 and 14. It says, In him, that is in Christ, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. So what we see there is finally even the Holy Spirit operative in this grace being, being worked out in our lives. God lavishes this grace on us. When we believe, it says you heard the word of truth and believed. He lavishes this grace upon us, and then the Holy Spirit seals it. He seals it until the day we die. It is there awaiting us for eternity. The Holy Spirit also operative in this grace. So we see the entire Trinity just in these, I think it's uh, 12 verses. No, sorry, 14 verses. Uh, in these 14 verses, the whole Trinity having this grace flow out of them. But there are even some verses that are more explicit. Uh, I think about Exodus 34. This is uh, at the, the giving of um, the, the Ten Commandments. I think this is the second time <laughs> that God had to give them because Moses broke the first tablets. It says, uh, Exodus 34, 5 through 7, the Lord descended in a cloud and stood with Moses there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. Now, we know the word, the name. He's not literally just saying Here's my name, Lord, Yahweh. No, no. What he's doing is he's proclaiming his essence and the way that he wants to be known. This is who I am. So he proclaims his name to Moses. He says in verse six, it says in verse 6, The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. Now that, that verse continues talking about how he won't let things go, but we'll get to that in a couple of weeks when we look at the justice of God. But for now we see that part of, he proclaims his name, his essence, how he wants to be known, and he says, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious. We see in Psalm 11, or sorry, 116.5, gracious is the Lord and righteous. Our God is merciful. Titus 2.11, I love this. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. Hmm. The grace of God has appeared. Is grace some sort of an object that it's like, oh, there it is. There's grace. It, came, it appeared. That's talking about Jesus. It's, it's not a thing. It's a person, right? For the grace of of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. So Jesus, his name is actually exchanged for this word grace. The grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. And so this is important, okay? God is not faking when he is kind to the undeserving. He's not trying to look good. He's not trying to bolster his reputation as though he is something that he's not. 
God is simply acting out of his nature when he gives free favor towards those who deserve punishment. He doesn't have to, but he chooses to. Give this favor to someone who otherwise deserves judgment. And so, again, you might wonder why I've labored to make this point. That God isn't just pretending to be gracious, but he actually is gracious. The, the reason I want to do it is because this next point may, may give you pause um, if you've never thought about it and if you don't understand it rightly. And I think it's good to have the foundation of the nature of grace, that God is gracious. All grace is from him. He is the source of grace. By the way, James 1.17, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights. Anything good is from God. It's a grace from God. But the reason I want to do this is because this, this may be difficult for, for some people. Seriously, this is going to be a, a terrible time to drop such a, a, a weighty theological truth, but I'm doing it. Number two, creation exists to d- display God's grace. Boom, it worked that time. Creation exists to display God's grace. You say, okay, cool. I mean, we've already talked about this earlier in our, uh, our study, this Behold series, is that creation exists for God's glory to be put on display, for people uh, to, to enjoy His glory and worship Him for His glory. But here I'm saying that creation exists to display God's grace. And I even mean that creation, exactly the way that it is, exists to display God's grace. We talked last week about providence. You guys remember providence? Providence is God has the, the, the power and authority to do whatever he wants, and he does it with a plan and a purpose in mind. So everything that happens uh, since, since the beginning of creation happens with a purpose, and God is behind it, and no one is working outside of his uh, decree, even though they often do sinful, terrible things. They are actually still carrying out the decree of God, even though he doesn't want them to uh, sin, if you will. So God uh, permits these things. He, he plans to permit these things, you could even say, because he did these things, we'll find out, before the foundation of the world. We see that in verse 3 and 4. So this is the plan part, okay? That God had a plan for the world to be the way that it is. Verses 3 and 4, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every, every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. And th- this is kind of incredible if you think about it. Before the foundation of the world, that, that word world is cosmos, by the way. That's everything that exists outside of God is the world, the cosmos. Before the foundation of the world, he chose us in him that we would be holy and blameless before him. 
It's like, okay, well, he chose that we'd be holy and blameless. But the problem is, we're not holy and blameless. No one ever since Adam and Eve sinned has been holy and blameless. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, right? Uh, Ephesians 2, uh, you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. These same people... God chose would be holy and blameless before him, and he chose this before anything other than God existed, before the foundation of the world. So we got to do some math here. So he planned that he would choose to make uh, dead sinners, trespassers, holy and blameless before God, that he would show grace, he chose to do that before the foundation of the world. Therefore, that means before God even created the world, he knew that there would be sin. Okay, that knew there'd be sin because God knows everything. We've already looked at that, the omniscience of God. But then we looked last week at the providence of God, that God is, is so sovereign, so, so wise, so powerful, that everything that happens is according to his plan. Therefore, God even planned to permit that sin be. God did not commit sin. Don't hear me say it. God did not tempt anyone to sin. Don't hear me say that. Again, James 1.13, let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. His own desire. God is not responsible for sin, meaning that he, he, he made people sin. But the fact is, he did plan to permit sin be. And it happened just as he planned, even though God did not commit the sin. It came out of the sinful hearts of, of both Satan and people and, and, all, and all of us. So God chose that that would happen, okay? Again, way too weighty for a sh short sermon. That God planned that sin would exist before he even created the world. He is sovereign. He is providential. But he is also wise, right? We, we've talked about that. The, the glorious wisdom of God. God is infinitely wise. Therefore, everything God does is infinitely good and wise and, and purposeful and planned God did not make a mistake by planning to permit that sin be. And the purpose was this. Creation exists just as it is, broken in order to display his grace. By definition, grace requires that people deserve punishment, that people deserve bad, deserve curses, and yet God freely gives them favor. If sin did not exist in this world, this attribute of God, this depth of his kindness and his goodness, namely his grace, that he would be kind and good toward those who deserve punishment, would never be seen. I'll give you just a, uh, a, a little example 
of this, how this might happen in everyday life. Maybe you've experienced this, maybe not. Um, normally, Hallie's having to do the forgiving, right? Because <laughs> normally I'm the one that's screwing up in some way. But it's actually kind of nice sometimes when she slips <laughs> and I have to do the forgiving, when I have to be gracious towards her because it is an opportunity for me to show the depth of my love and my favor toward her, my commitment to her that, hey, even though you did this thing, it's probably very small in comparison to what I do to her, but anyway, even though you did this thing, I get to show you forgiveness. I get to give you grace, show, show you compassion, even though you might deserve, rightly deserve, punishment for this thing. Now that's a, a, a small example, but th that is what God is doing here. God planned to permit that sin would be so that we could see the depth of his love, the depth of his goodness, the depth of his compassion, his patience, his kindness towards us. You say, how do you know that that's true? Well, verse uh, 4, the end of verse 4 there, just a couple words uh, on through verse 6, it says, in love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. Okay, what's the purpose of his will? To the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. The, the reason that he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, the, the reason that in love he predestined us for adoption as sons was to fulfill his purpose, and the purpose was to the praise of his glorious grace. God chose that it would be this way so that we could see and praise his grace. That we would recognize that God's love is not, not cheap or shallow, but, but deep and unending and unbelievable. We see this again, by the way, in verses 11 and 12. By the way, I, I'll tell you this right now before I go any further in case I forget. Verses 3 through 14 in Greek are one sentence. Look at it. 3 through 14. In English, we add a lot of periods because our brains would explode. Uh, 257 words is how long this sentence is. Man, Paul's a, uh, <laughs> just a beast. I don't know. Anyway, 3 through 14 is all one sentence. Therefore, it is all one unified idea, okay? That's what I wanted, why I even point that out to you. It is one sentence, 3 through 14. Therefore, it is one unified idea. In verses, uh, I guess, verse 6, it says, to the praise of his glorious grace. Now we come to 11 and 12, still a part of the same sentence. In him, we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. The reason I tell you that that's all one sentence is, he says to the praise of his glory, but he already said in the same sentence to the praise of his glorious grace. So now he's just sort of doing shorthand. So right there, to the praise of his glorious grace, and now he says that it might be to the praise of his glory, and we're still talking about the glory of his grace, because we're still in the very same sentence, the very same thought, and that was talking about the first who believed, this very first generation of believers that God predestined before the foundation of the world. Then verse 13 and 14, it says, in him you also... 
So that's everyone after that very first generation of, of Christians, uh, 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 New Covenant Christians, Spirit-indwelt Christians. We see verse 13, In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance, until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Again, deep thought for the day. Creation exists just as it is right now broken, fallen. There are good things, good, great things, enjoyable things, but there are many difficult things. There are many sinful, wicked things, but creation exists just as it is to the praise of God's glorious grace. It is meant to display. God has put his character, his essence on display. Next week, we'll see how that is on display, but I I do want to just quickly throw in a little plug here. It is by grace you are saved through faith. And this is based on the finished work of Christ. It it is not only an amazing inheritance that that we receive by grace, the favor shown by God, right? This is salvation, forgiveness of sins, eternal inheritance, relationship with God for eternity. And again, we'll look at that next week. I'm so excited to do that. But look at even the cost of showing that favor, The way God was able to show that favor was by pouring out the curse, pouring out the punishment, pouring out the wrath that you and I deserve on his son. Boom! The depth of God's grace. God is gracious. Creation exists to display God's gracious, and it is unbelievable. Favor towards those who sin against him able to give it at the cost of his son bearing the punishment. This is unbelievable, freely given favor towards those who deserve punishment. And God puts that on display. By the way, Revelation uh, talks about, I think it's in two places, um, the names that are written in the book of the life of the Lamb who was slain that was written before the foundation of the world. God planned, God planned that he would have his back tattered, that his, there would be nails going through his hands, that he would be spit on and mocked, crown of thorns, and, and that, that's not even considering the spiritual torment. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Wrath poured out on Christ. That was planned before the foundation of the world in order to show us the depth of God's grace. Therefore, I'm not going to drag this out, therefore, we exist to delight in God's grace. If this is the purpose for which the world is the way that it is, then we exist to delight in God's grace. He displays the grace. We delight in it. We really, I, I just urge you, I know I couldn't go on very long this week, but I urge you this week just to, anytime you open your Bible, and I hope you do open your Bible throughout the week, to look for God's grace, His favor towards those who don't deserve it. You say, well, who's that? 
That's everybody in the Bible does not deserve any favor. They, in fact, deserve wrath. That's you. That's me. Anything good that comes into your life this week, I mean, we're talking sunshine or the opposite, the breeze that makes the sunshine not so hot, the birds chirping, the flowers blooming. It's grace. It's grace. We deserve God's wrath. I deserve God's wrath every moment of every day. And yet he gives grace, relationship with him, delight in him. We exist to delight in God's grace. But it actually said more than just delight in, didn't it? said, to the praise of his glorious grace, to the praise of his glory, to the praise of his glory. Oh man, I've got to praise his glory? No, that's a misunderstanding of what it is to praise. See, when, when God tells us to praise the most supreme, the most glorious thing, it, it's not because he's so needy that he needs our praise. It is in fact for our own joy and the good of others that we praise the glory of his grace. It's not out of selfishness, but generosity that God says, praise me. C.S. Lewis famously said this, because he was struggling with this issue, that God says, glorify me, praise me. I'm going to greatly abridge this for brevity, this quotation, so I'm just picking out little things that he said. This is uh, on Reflections in the Psalms, his book. He says, I had never noticed that all enjoyment spontaneously overflows into praise. And then he gives a great long list. Lovers uh, praising the other and, and the, the sunset and the walks and the poets. And he, it spontaneously overflows into praise. By the way, sports teams, you, you, you enjoy something, it spontaneously overflows into praise. He says, my whole more general difficulty about the praise of God depended on my absurdly denying to us as regards God what we delight to do, <laughs> what we indeed can't help doing about everything else we value. Let me just say, uh, reword that. His uh, English is different than ours. He says, with God, I was saying, oh, that's terrible that God would say, praise me, delight in me. He says, but then I never realized that we do that with everything else. And he goes on to say this, I think we delight to praise what we enjoy because the praise not merely expresses, but completes the enjoyment. It's not out of compliment that lovers keep on telling one another how beautiful they are. The delight is incomplete until it is expressed. So when, when God says, this is to the praise of my glorious grace, I have set up earth, the whole cosmos, for the display of my grace, for the praise of my grace. He's not needy, not, not looking for compliments like someone that, that's insecure. This is God being generous to us saying, praise me, behold my glory, behold my grace, the depth of my kindness, generosity, patience, and love towards undeserved people. And let that enjoyment find its consummation in praising me. And I promise you it happens. You praise him with your heart. You, you tell him how great he is. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's verse 3. That's what it means. Praise to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because he's blessed us in the beloved. 
praise him. But don't, don't stop there. Don't stop with just God. Sing it out loud. Sing it. Talk, talk about it. Talk about it to your friends, family. Praise the glory of his grace. And I would say as we think about missions and evangelism and, and, and the lost, they need to know the grace of God. I know in my own life when God revealed grace to me that, that oh, I don't have to earn his favor and oh, God, God is actually just so great that he wants to show me grace. He doesn't want me to pay him back. He just wants me to be a recipient of his favor and his love. When I realized that, I'm telling you, it set me on fire to tell as many people as I could. And that fire, praise the Lord, has not gone out. It's just that great. Because I knew my friends misunderstood grace. Because we were all walking in sin. We were all thinking, oh, I don't want to mess with God. He's up there. you got to be nice to him so he doesn't hurt you. But no, I, I told him, God, you, got, you, guys, you guys just don't understand. God is so good, and he wants to forgive us. He wants to free us from our sin. He wants us to enjoy him forever. And so may we delight in this God of grace who has so generously displayed his grace for our enjoyment. Let's pray. Father God, Thank you so much just for even giving us this short time to behold the glory of your grace. And it is my prayer, Lord, that now that we recognize your grace, now that we understand that it is from you, it is you, and that you have put that grace on display for our enjoyment, that it will lead to praise in our hearts, in our mouths, and to those who need to hear it so desperately. God, may your purpose be fulfilled three times, you say, that the purpose of doing this is to the praise of the glory of your grace. And so, God, would you accomplish that purpose in our lives right now? We'll study it again next week and see just how deep and how beautiful your grace is. But even what we've seen so far is just so profound. Our, our, our minds can barely accept it. And we, we still, I bet, have doubts. No, he can't be that good. God, help us to get rid of those doubts and just accept by faith the wondrous nature, the excellency of your grace. And Lord, any who have not yet trusted in Jesus, maybe they felt they're not good enough, not worthy enough. Maybe they haven't felt you're good enough or worthy enough. God, let them lay that down as foolishness and folly and receive your glorious grace, forgiveness of sin, eternal life, and a relationship with you, the God, the glorious, gracious God of the universe. Let them trust in you by faith, what you accomplished on the cross, on your son. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let's stand together. And those of us.